We read in Galatians 3, verses 5 and following. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And in verse 9, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And in verse 11, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. In Romans 4, verses 23 and following, and now it was not, imp not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. On these and many other passages of Holy Writ is based the instruction of our Catechism in Lord's Day 23, uh, questions and answers 60 and 61. How art thou righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, uh, so that though my conscience accuse me, that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them and am still inclined to all evil, notwithstanding God without any merit of mine but only of mere grace grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ. Even so, as if I never had had nor committed any sin, yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Why sayest thou, that thou art righteous by faith only. Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. Last Sunday morning, beloved, uh, we began our discussion of this 23rd Lord's Day uh, by stressing uh, the wonder and the blessedness of justification. As we saw, that justification means a change in our state, our legal position before the law, whereby the judge of heaven and earth passes sentence upon us and declares us righteous and therefore 
worthy of eternal life. We saw in the second place that in the blessing of justification and therein exactly lies its blessedness as the Catechism emphasizes it in the 60th question and answer too, in the blessing of justification, God declares the sinner righteous. We saw that that was necessary because we are sinners. Such sinners that there is absolutely no basis of righteousness in us. We're guilty. Worthy of death. Totally corrupt. And can only increase our guilt daily. And yet, we who are such corrupt, guilty, damn worthy sinners are nevertheless declared by the only judge of heaven and earth, righteous, perfectly righteous, and therefore the heirs of eternal life. And we saw therefore in the third place that this blessing of justification is and can be apprehended and embraced by us just exactly in the measure that we are conscious of our sins. The justified one. And that is especially characteristic of him here below, on this side the grave, the justified one, as he has yet only a small beginning of the new obedience, is a man who is very much aware of his own utter unworthiness. Question and answer 60 emphasizes that, beloved. This is the last thing we mentioned last Sunday morning. Though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God, and never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, notwithstanding, in spite of it all, God grants and imputes to me freely, out of mere grace, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. So that the justified sinner has a twofold consciousness. The consciousness of his own sins and the consciousness of his righteousness in Christ before God. Yet so that the latter, the consciousness of justification conquers the consciousness of his guilt so that he says just exactly what the catechism says in that 60th answer notwithstanding God grants and imputes to me freely perfect satisfaction righteousness and holiness of Christ. The Christian, therefore, does not say, I am guilty and righteous at the same time. But he says, I am guilty by nature, and I am perfectly righteous by grace. The sentence of justification overcomes the accusation of my conscience. There are two subjects, two important subjects left in this Lord's Day. The first is expressed in the question, how is it possible that God declares 
a sinner, not guilty. Can the righteous God declare the sinner to be righteous, innocent? If so, how? Where is the basis in justice? Is there a righteous basis? That question the Catechism asks and answers in the second question of Lord's Day 23. How art thou righteous before God? And the second question is also very important. And the answer that you give to that question is of extreme importance. How does the Christian come into possession of that divine sentence of righteousness? How does he become aware of it? That question, too, the Catechism asks and answers partially in question and answer 60 and explains its answer in question and answer 61 especially. Why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith only? What does that mean? Is there, after all, something that I must do in order to be righteous before God? Does God perhaps substitute faith or the act of believing or the imperfect obedience of faith for the perfect obedience of the law and because we believe declare us righteous on the ground of our faith and the works of our faith. Hence, why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith only? To those questions we call your attention this morning, speaking on righteous in Christ by faith. Noticing in the first place the ground of that righteousness, and in the second place, its means. Its ground and its means. The faith, beloved, the Christian, requires an answer to the question, what is the ground of my justification? The ground of my righteousness. Uh, that follows from the very nature of faith. Faith is not some vague and mystical feeling, but faith, as our catechism has instructed us already, is a certain knowledge of all that God has revealed in his word and a hearty confidence in connection with that certain knowledge. And therefore, the Christian must know and it is especially necessary in connection with our justification especially necessary for the well-being of our faith, that I be able to give a clear account of the ground, the basis upon which my righteousness rests. Very easy perhaps, uh, to say I'm righteous. I'm righteous by faith. But I must know, the Christian must know, uh, that that righteousness is genuine. 
that it is not the figment of his imagination. Is that it is indeed true that the sovereign judge of heaven and earth who inevitably executes his justice declares me righteous. Must know that. There must be no mistake about that. A mistake in such a case, beloved, would be fatal. So fatal that it would imply everlasting death. I must know, therefore, that the righteousness which I believe to possess is genuine and well-founded. And the more the believer understands that ground of his righteousness, beloved, understands that that ground is absolutely in Christ, And the more he therefore learns to regard all other ground as sinking sand, the more he enjoys the peace that passeth all understanding. The only comfort in life and in death. You see that, don't you? the more sure, the more well-founded that righteousness becomes, the more the testimony of my own conscience that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and have kept none of them and still am inclined to all evil, the more that consciousness will be conquered, beloved, and we overcome it. Hence, our catechism inquires very carefully into uh, the way and the ground of that great blessing of justification. It wants us to beware that we do not find any ground in ourselves and in our own works lest we lose the assurance of righteousness and the peace of justification, beloved. Inevitably, the moment the child of God turns away from Christ, loses Christ and his righteousness out of sight, and begins somehow to look for a ground of his righteousness in himself. Inevitably, beloved, he begins to doubt and to tremble and to fear. And those sins rise up against him as an insurmountable difficulty. And he loses his peace of mind. Catechism proceeds, beloved, upon the basis that there must be some basis in fact when God justifies us. Really proceeds on the basis that God does not lie. Proceeds on the assumption that God is righteous. That God in himself is holy and true and righteous and just. And that therefore, if God declares any man righteous, there must be harmony between that sentence of God and the facts of reality. 
And it therefore proceeds, because God justifies the sinner, it proceeds from the assumption that when God declares us righteous, that righteousness must be based on His own righteousness. God rewards the good with good and the evil with evil. He justifies the righteous and He condemns the guilty. And when therefore God justifies the sinner, there must be an actual basis of righteousness for that justification. Otherwise it's a lie, a farce. So the catechism asks, you see, it cannot be that God simply pardons the sinner. God cannot say, I simply forget all about what you've done. I wink at it. I close my eyes to it. Regardless of the fact that you have grossly transgressed all my commandments and never kept any of them, and are still inclined to all evil, I'll just forget about that and say you're righteous nevertheless, pardon you. Earthly judge might do that sometimes. They do it. And they commute a man's sentence. But God cannot do that. God would contradict and deny himself then, beloved. Nor is justification a matter of God's mercy in distinction from his justice. God's mercy and his justice are one, and his mercy does not contradict his justice. Our catechism has instructed us in that very thoroughly, has it not? When God justifies the sinner, beloved, he's just. When God reveals his mercy, that mercy is a just mercy. Otherwise it would indeed be a very cruel mercy. So the question is, how, how art thou righteous before God? The catechism answers very emphatically, beloved. And negatively, first of all, that the basis of that righteousness is not in man. It is not in what man does. It is not in what man has done. And it is not in what man will do. regardless of his regeneration and sanctification. Let me bring that closer to home. The basis of that justification, beloved, is not in the Christian. It is not in what the Christian does. It is not in what he has done and it is not in what he will do. I want to emphasize that. You are not justified and I am not justified even after our regeneration and conversion because of our faith or because of the good works of our faith 
Beloved, the sinner is justified before he is reborn. And it is just exactly on the basis of that justification that he receives all the blessings of salvation. God cannot bless, according to his own being, I mean. God cannot bless an unrighteous man. God blesses the righteous. And he loves the righteous. And he bestows all the blessings of salvation on the righteous only. If therefore we are to receive any blessings, we must first of all be righteous. Notice how our catechism emphasizes that in that same 60th question and answer. That characterizes all human ground, beloved, as sinking sand. I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God. Any ground in that? Any ground there? Ample ground, beloved, for going to hell. Ample ground. Ample ground, I say, because the transgression of one commandment would be sufficient for that. I've kept none of them. It's not even... One tiny straw of human righteousness left. Not one. You can't say to God, I transgressed a lot of them, and I transgressed thy commandments often, but uh, once, once in a while, I've showed that I want to be righteous. I've kept the commandment once in a while. Oh, no, 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 no. I have kept none of them. In that quicksand of human guilt, beloved, there's not even one little inch of solid righteous ground where you might find a footing before the Almighty Judge. Go on. Am still inclined to all evil. Any ground there? That's not only your actions and mine. That's our nature, beloved. Our nature. Inclined to all evil. Where is it then? No ground in you and me. Impossible. Must be some other ground. Positively, the Catechism instructs us that the ground of God's verdict in justifying the ungodly is in Christ alone. Notice how beautifully that's stated. God grants and imputes to me freely, out of mere grace, the perfect satisfaction righteousness and holiness of Christ. And that's repeated again in question and answer 61. But because only the satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. There it is, beloved. The ground of our justification is in Christ alone. In Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. You know that expression that the apostle uses so frequently in the book of Romans? The righteousness of God is revealed. And that refers not to righteousness, you know, 
as one of God's virtues, but as a gift which God bestows upon us, a righteousness of God. That means, beloved, that of that righteousness of which we are the heirs, God is the only author. It means that of that righteousness, God and God alone conceive from all eternity. It means that that righteousness is realized by God and bestowed by God alone also. That's revealed in Christ. That's why Christ is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to the carnal man, beloved. Because in Christ there is no righteousness of man but the righteousness of God revealed. In Christ, God reveals himself as the reconciler who is righteous and just even when he justifies the ungodly. Not imputing our trespasses unto us. That's the current thought of Scripture, beloved. Called your attention to that last Sunday morning in a limited way. But how Scripture emphasizes that throughout. You noticed it perhaps in that chapter that we read this morning, Galatians 3, where where, after all, does that righteousness all concentrate? Where does it find its explanation? Where do you have the explanation of the fact that Abraham's faith was accounted to him for righteousness? In Christ, beloved, in Christ. Oh, to be sure. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But look at To Abraham and his seed were the promises made, and he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Why? Why? Because, as the Apostle says in the preceding verses, while the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them, Christ, that seed, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That's why the important question is not, after all, if you are Abraham's seed, that's all right. But ultimately, it is this, if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. The same thought the apostle emphasizes throughout Romans 3 and 4. Discusses that same matter of Abraham there. Of Abraham's faith and his righteousness. He finally ends the fourth chapter by saying that Christ was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. The center, the center of faith, therefore, is Christ because Christ is our righteousness. How? 
How is it possible? We distinguish these elements, beloved, and you must distinguish these elements in that righteousness as it is in Christ. The very fundamental element is that our Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God in the flesh. Our catechism has emphasized that repeatedly that our mediator must be very God, but that's fundamental too, beloved. That's fundamental. Understand? Take that fundamental element out of the righteousness of Christ and that righteousness which we have in Christ is no more a righteousness of God. That first of all. In the second place, unless our mediator, our righteousness, were the Son of God in the flesh, he could not possibly accomplish that righteousness for us. In the third place, unless that righteousness of Christ is the righteousness of the Son of God in the flesh, that righteousness would not be worthy of eternal life. In the fourth place, unless that righteousness in Christ were the righteousness of the Son of God in the flesh, that righteousness could never be imputed unto us. That Son of God entering into our flesh, came in the state of men. He came, therefore, as a servant. Under the law. That was necessary. In the fullness of time, it was necessary that he be born of a woman born under the law in order that he might redeem us from the power of that law. In the third place, he not only entered into the state of a servant, but he entered into the state of sinners. See, beloved, the wonder of justification is divine from beginning to end. God realizes that righteousness too. God entered in our flesh into the state of sinners. And there, in that state of sinners, and once more, beloved, God alone could do that. Only God in our flesh could do that. Having taken all the responsibility for our sins upon His own mighty shoulders, He actively paid for sin. And there you come back to that fundamental note of our catechism, satisfaction. Don't ever erase that word, beloved. Satisfaction. He paid. He paid. He made satisfaction through the act of perfect love even under the outpouring of the wrath of God. And so, he was raised on account of our justification, even as he was delivered on account of our offenses. That's Romans 4.25, literally. God justified Christ at the head of all his sinful people in the resurrection from the dead. That resurrection was God's sentence that not only Christ, but Christ at the head of all his people was righteous. And therefore, that we are righteous in him. 
that perfect satisfaction and the resultant righteousness, the Catechism states, is freely granted and imputed unto us by God. There's another question. How is that possible? Is that not rather double unrighteousness on God's part? First, Christ is innocently condemned to death. And then God lets the sinner go scot-free. Isn't that a double injustice? How is that possible? The explanation, I have no time to go into detail on that this morning, but the explanation as the Apostle gives it in Romans 5 is, beloved, that Christ is our head, our legal head. He represents us before the law of God. That's not all. You may still ask the question, how is it possible that we who are by nature in Adam and therefore guilty in his fall. How is it possible that now we are represented by Christ? The answer, beloved, as it always is, lies in the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Eternal election. We are represented in Christ as our head because God chose us from all eternity in Him. And therefore, we may say not only that we are justified in Christ in time at the cross, but we are justified from all eternity, beloved. That's scripture. That's the foundation of it all. Behind that, you cannot go not only, but you need not go. If you ask, how is it possible that God could choose us in Christ Jesus from all eternity? The answer is, beloved, God is God. He's sovereign. That's why... Our catechism inserts here, before it says anything else, God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace. Don't you know? Romans 8, 29 and 30. We justified from eternity, according to the Apostle Paul there. Whom he did predestinate, the Apostle says in verse 30, them he also called, past tense, the eternal past. God called us even as he chose us in Christ from all eternity, whom he called, them he also justified, past tense, eternal past. God justified us, even as he called us and chose us from all eternity, and whom he justified, then he also glorified, finally. Finished. God swore by himself, eternally, in his own counsel, by his own sovereign grace, that he would lead us all to glory through faith. All the elect. There's the basis of it. The wonderful beloved. God chose us in Christ. He called us in Christ. He justified us in Christ. And therefore he glorified us in Christ from all eternity. That's God's.
That's God's. But more. All that God realized in time on the cross, 1900 years ago, that's God's. That's all God's, beloved. Isn't that a firm foundation? Could you find such a firm foundation of righteousness? That's not all, beloved. In the resurrection from the dead, which is also God's, God quickeneth the dead and calleth the things which are not as though they are. Only God can do that. In that resurrection, God declared our righteousness. Still more. In the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I mean not only the written scriptures. But the gospel of God. Which is the power of God unto salvation. That's also God's. And his only you know. The son of God through his word and spirit. Gathers, defends and preserves his church. In that gospel, God, as it were, gives us our citizens' papers in the kingdom of heaven and declares unto us our righteousness. And that is God's. All God's. And through that gospel, he bestows upon us the consciousness of our justification through the hearing of faith. And beloved, that is God's. That's God's. When you say now, I must be brief, but when you say now, I am righteous by faith only, that does not mean therefore that you are righteous because of your faith? Cannot be. You struck that out, beloved. You struck that out when you said, I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them and am still inclined to all evil. There's no cause in us. It's God's. All God's. Besides, there is no ground of faith necessary except Christ. Don't you know? We said, God grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction and righteousness and holiness of Christ to something that is perfect Nothing can be or need be added, beloved. And don't ever do it. And I'm not talking merely about doctrine this morning. I mean, don't ever do it before your own consciousness, beloved. You say, God grants to me the perfect satisfaction and righteousness and holiness of Christ. Period. That's enough. That's all you need, more than you ever need. Faith is not another work, but as the Apostle Paul explains in Romans 4, the first few verses, when Abraham was justified by faith and God counted his faith for righteousness, that was not another work. Abraham's faith stood exactly opposed to works as far as his righteousness was concerned. Oh, beloved, don't ever think of works as far as righteousness is concerned. You know what happens then? You become responsible for the fulfillment of the whole law.
perfect fulfillment of it all. And with such a burden, beloved, you go to hell. You go to hell with such a burden. You can't fulfill it. But Christ could. And faith is not the ground, not the condition which we must fulfill in order to receive righteousness from God. Oh, no, no, no. You hear more on that this afternoon, I think. But faith is the means, the God-given means, whereby, first of all, I am joined to Christ by God even before I am ever aware of it. Before I'm aware of it. And God, because of that objective relation of faith union to Christ, imputes to me righteousness, declares me righteous. And quickening that faith in me by His Spirit and Word so that I know Christ and place all my confidence in Him he imputes that righteousness to me before my own consciousness so that I say, therefore, being justified out of faith, out of faith, I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that God so beholds me as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Christ took that all, beloved. Christ took all the responsibilities for all our sins and carried it away. God considers me in that Christ as if I had fully accomplished all the obedience which Christ accomplished for me. Because I belong to Christ. Isn't that wonderful? That's the gospel. The gospel of divine grace. Amen. Lord our God, apply thy word, we pray, unto our hearts by thy spirit. In order that we may lay hold on that wonderful Christ by a true and living faith and embrace him with a believing heart and experience the blessedness of the man whose sins are forgiven. For Jesus' sake, amen.